the law, sin, and death. Three issues nobody loves talking about, but if we are to find life and that more abundantly, then we need to talk about them, as we'll do next on today's program. Join us. From Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth. Welcome to the broadcast. Our time together today begins a series called Law, Sin, Death, and Sin's Relationship to the Law, taken from Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. As we begin our time together today, we want to do a brief introduction and review. We'll jump all the way back to Romans chapter 3 and do a quick review, bringing us back up to Romans chapter 7 as Paul is establishing the following about the law, that the law cannot save, it cannot sanctify, and it can no longer condemn believers if you're in grace. With more, here's Pastor Steve Converse. And so Paul has been establishing the following. The first of all, when he talks about the law in Romans 3 to 5, he basically told us in a nutshell that the law cannot save. He said the law was never given for to us to save us. The law cannot sanctify us. He told us that in chapter 6. In verses 1 through 6 of chapter 7 last week, we realized that the law can no longer condemn us as believers. We've been released from the condemnation of the law. And see, what a wonderful thing that is. And today we're going to start in verse 7. And up through verse 13, he talks about that the law can convict both unbelievers and believers of sin. It does both because we have what we call a conscience. Okay, just because you're not a Christian doesn't mean you don't get convicted when you do something wrong. And then verses 14 to 25, he talks about the law cannot deliver from sin, either before or after salvation. And then in chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, he says that it can be fulfilled by believers in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're here to, just as Christ was, was to fulfill the law. We can do the same thing. And so we're going to be looking at that in the coming weeks. But the bottom line here Paul's trying to show us, as you go through the book of Romans, it would be very easy to walk away from our study so far saying, yeah, the law, man, that's bad. The law is bad. Grace, that's good. Law, bad. And, and Paul w- wants us not to think that. Because the law is God's word. It doesn't save us. has no power to save us. It doesn't have power to make us more like Christ to sanctify us in any way. It does have the power to allow our sin to be known to us. It points out our sin to us. It shows us that we're under divine wrath. The Bible says that it can even enslave us, the law can, and that can lead to death. And so when we think of the law, I want you to think of the next couple words, these three words, law, sin, and death, because that's what Paul talks about here in Romans chapter 7. And when you look back at Romans chapter 6, verse 14, where Paul writes this, he says, Sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under what? Under grace. And we go, yay, hooray, that's great, that's wonderful news. And see, those who have come to Christ, those who have trusted in Christ for their salvation, have been released or removed from, that's what we've been studying the last couple weeks, that we were released from the law, from that crushing Uh, enslaving, killing power of the law. It no longer has that dominant reign over us as believers. 
As a matter of fact, in verse 6, we closed off last week, and it says there in verse 6 that we have been released from the law, chapter 7. We have no longer to consider the law and sin that comes by disobeying the law as our dominant master. And so Paul is really kind of pointing that out to us very clear. And so he says the law and sin is no longer, he uses the illustration of marriage there, he's, it's no longer our husband. We died, and as a result of that, the bondage that we had in that union with sin by the law, that's over as new believers in Christ. And you have to understand that. If you're a new believer in Christ, if you're a Christian, you have to understand your position in Christ means something. You don't go on living your life the same way you did before Christ came into your life, before he transformed you, before he saved you. So according to what Paul is saying here is that The law of God is basically that which reflects God's character. It reflects his holy character. We sang the song, holy, 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 this morning. It reflects God's moral law. It's not talking about ritualism. It's not talking about religion. It's not talking about ceremonies and doing certain things to earn God's favor. And so the wonderful news is that when you come to salvation by grace through faith, not by works, not by the law, you're released from that. You're no longer under that law. To be honest, there's a lot of people in, even in the church today in general that say, yeah, that's the kind of Christianity I'm talking about. You know, not these rules and regulations. You know, I just want to be able to do whatever I want. After all, Christ died for all my sins, right? All my sins are forgiven, so I can just go do whatever I want. As a matter of fact, back in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, we started off, and that's the question that Paul asked. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So some people in Paul's day, and even today in the church, get the idea that, yeah, you know, we believe in grace. We're grace Bible church. We believe in God's grace. We believe in God's grace. Oh, the law? No, that's bad. We don't talk about the law. And so there's, there's certain people, even within our society today, even theologians who are... They, they call themselves antinomian. They're, they're antinomian. They're basically what that means is anti-law. They're against any kind of law. And so they really take the grace of God and they misuse it to justify their sinful behavior because, hey, they're saved and their sins are forgiven. I'm not hurting anybody. What does it matter? The more I sin, the more God gets the glory because the more I need his grace. And that's what he's asking that question there in chapter 6, verse 1. And so we have to be reminded that this is where we've gone in this study. And so up to this point, chapter 7, verse 7, our text for today, I'm going to read it for you right now. He asks another question. Paul's wonder when he's teaching, he's asking these questions before they even get out of his listeners' mouths. You know, he knows what they're thinking. Another person who did that was Jesus, right? When he was talking with the Pharisees or whatever, he'd answer their question before they even asked it. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's kind of rhetorically asking these questions and answering them. And so a lot of this is is kind of repeat. He repeats himself over and over again to make sure that he's clear. But let's look at at verses, beginning chapter 7, verse 7. And he says here, What shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once 
alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that I promised life, that promised life, proved to be death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and though and, and through it killed me. Verse 12. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Kind of a crazy question that Paul's asking here, but that's exactly what was in their heads. They were saying, okay, Paul, if this law can't do all these things that you just said it can't do, what good is it? Is it sin? What's the big deal? I mean, if all sin, if all, if all the law does is show us sin, indict us, kill us, bring us under the wrath of God and judgment, and if we've been taken as Christians out from under the law and its domain, that's what he just got done teaching us, if we've been released from the bondage of the law, then what good's the law? Is it sin? Is it evil? That's what he's asking. Because that's what they were asking. It seems as though all the law does up to this point is produce evil. Because salvation is by grace through faith. It's not by the law. And you know what? That's a very hard concept for not just a Jew to grasp, but anybody to grasp. The idea that, that God would forgive us and save us and take us to his holy kingdom and wash us and cleanse us of all of our sins and make us new and give us new life and call us his children and his friends and take us to heaven to dwell with him forever. And he would do that and we don't have to improve our lives. We don't have to become righteous. We don't have to obey his law. That flies in the face of everything that the Jewish mind was taught since childhood. The Jews had a deep commitment to the law of God. They had, they, that's, they lived their life by it. Now, yeah, they were hypocritical a lot of the time. But the law was not something that they trifled with. They had a, a commitment to the works of the law, to earning their righteousness by maintaining works of the law to some degree. And that's why when Christ came along and began to teach, wait a minute, no, you're, you're, you're not saved by just what you look like. You can dress up in all the fancy robes you want, Pharisees. I know what your heart's like. And so he indicted them, not on what they looked like, but was what was on the inside. See, they were following all the, the rules, quote, of the law on the outside. But on the inside, they were missing the mark. And so the message of salvation by grace apart from the law was something that they couldn't get their hands around. They just could not really understand what that meant. And they felt like Paul basically just made a mess of everything by preaching and teaching this salvation by grace through faith. Now, there were people in Paul's day that had that antinomian kind of mentality, well, we're just going to go sin more. But the Jews weren't that way. They had a respect for God, a reverence for God, as most, I would say, religious people today. If, If most people go to church today, they have some respect for God. You know, they don't outright blaspheme God and and, and things like that knowingly. I mean, they don't want to do things like that. They have a kind of a built-in respect for the Lord. doesn't save them, but at least they have that. And so the Jews believed that the law was the path to God. And Paul just took that path and just took it away. Totally took it away. And so they're asking the question, well, okay, if I can't get there by the law, how do I get to God, Paul? How does this work? 
I can't buy into the fact simply that it doesn't matter how my, I live my life and, and how I can just come to God and accept this free gift. I mean, I have to do something, Paul. What, what do I have to do? I mean, maybe I have to clean myself up or something. Maybe I have to stop sinning or doing whatever. And then, and then maybe God will save me. See, that's the mentality people have today. They have a mentality of, of work salvation. That, you know, we have to do something to earn God's favor. And it permeates not just the world, it permeates the Christian church. And so they esteemed the law, and they esteemed it so much, I mean, they were into the minutia of the law. John MacArthur shares some interesting facts. He says, the rabbis pursued the Old Testament, and they found 613 commandments. There were 248 mandatory things that had to be done. And they said somehow that related to the number of bones in the body, which I thought was kind of weird. But anyway, that's what they said. And it says that these commands, these 248 commands related to God, to the temple, sacrifices, vows, rituals, donations, Sabbaths, animal for consumptions, things that you ate, festivals, idolatry, war, social issues, family issues, judicial matters, legal rights, slavery, 248 different mandatory things that needed to be done. How would you like that? How would you like if on the way out I gave you a list of 248 things? Oh, you want to come to this church? Well, here's, here's the... The test. Make sure you do all these. You'd never come back. Neither would I. That'd be crazy. Well, there were also, on top of the 248 things that needed to be done, there were 365 things that you couldn't do. And that talked about different days of the year, solar things, all this stuff. It, it talked about vows and agricultural things and um, slaves, sacrifices, worship. They had one for each day. I mean, if, if you can imagine yourself trying to live by these 248 things that you had to do and 365 things that you couldn't do, I'd lose my mind. Acts 15.10 says that it was a yoke, all right, around their neck. When we were little, we used to play uh, on the front yard. And I remember we used to tie ropes around, like they tie a rope around my neck or I'd tie a rope around my nephew's neck and he'd jump on my back and, you know, I'd be the horse or he'd be the horse. And I remember when he yanked that rope, man, you had to go. <laughs> you know, I mean, you didn't have a choice, especially if he yanked it hard. And then finally, when somebody in our family saw him was doing that and said, you know, that's not probably the wisest thing that you guys need to be doing. <laughs> Stop it. But I remember having that thing around my neck. and Boy, it didn't feel good. You know, I can only imagine what a horse feels like with that, that thing in its, its mouth. But it's, it's this law that really is, is something that, that is on them. And it says neither their fathers nor them are able to bear it. It's, it's impossible. But they saw that as the only hope. They, they said this is the only way that we can earn our favor with God is by doing these 248 things and not doing these 365 things. And, you know, they, they weren't far off the mark. I mean... You know, in the book of Deuteronomy, it tells us that cursed is he that does not conform to the words of the law by doing them. So they thought, man, we don't want to be cursed by God, so we need to do all this stuff. And it seems that that's where they really put a lot of their effort. Well, over in Galatians chapter 3, the book of Galatians deals with a lot of legalism and different things like that. But in in Paul in Galatians chapter 3, he does point out to us the mere fact that this is, this is a burden and it's something that as believers 
It's a real issue. Look at what he says there in verse 10, Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. He said, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a blessing. No, it doesn't say that. It says under a curse. For it is written, and this is out of Deuteronomy 27, 26, cursed be everyone who does not abide by the things written in the book of the law and do them. So that's pretty clear where they get that. And it's throughout the whole Old Testament. But look at what it says there in verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. So he points that out. For the righteous shall live by what? Faith. And then in verse 12 he says, But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. What he's saying here is, you know what, if you accept the way of life as far as salvation goes is the way that somehow you can keep this law and and earn your salvation, he says, you're under a curse. It's not going to happen. And he basically points out, Paul does, that it's impossible to do that. James 2.10 says, whoever shall keep the whole law yet offend, where? In one point, is guilty of the whole law. So it's, it's not like you're you're just breaking part of the 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 glass in the window no when you break the glass the whole thing shatters all right that's the idea here you can't just keep part of the law and say oh i'm good in this area and not keep the rest okay and so these people were in bondage to the law of god they were working hard to bear up under this incredible burden that they had and what happens here in the new testament is what happens paul comes along christ comes along they begin to preach the gospel Where they say, you know what, salvation doesn't come by this law because you can't keep the law. Hate to break that news to you, you can't, you couldn't do it even if you tried. That righteousness comes from God through faith and it comes by the grace of God alone. And if you put your trust in him, God will grant you salvation. And when he said that, it just blew their minds. They said, wait a minute, no, we've been doing this for years this way. You know, you can't just come in here and, well, this is, this is how it is now. And so they would have to conclude that if we can't be saved by the law and we don't need to do this stuff, that we need to be delivered by the law, we must be released from the law, then you know what? The law must be a bad thing. The law must be sin. And so that's what Paul is saying here back to Romans chapter 7. That's what he's picking up. That's why he asked that question in verse 7. What shall we say then? Because he just finished off... Verse 6, we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve a new way of the spirit and not the old way under the written code. And so what role does the law play? So we're talking about our sanctification. We're talking about becoming more like Christ, that work of God that, that processes that out in our lives each and every day. And so if we're not under the law, if we're released from the law, if we've died to the law, it no longer serves this, we no longer serve it under the old written code, as it said there in verse 6, then what does it do? And that's what we want to look at today. You know, if you go to into any, probably any college uh, classroom today, um, the one thing that you're going to find is a lot of the students uh, believe they hold one thing kind of common in their minds. And those of you that are in the classrooms probably know this, that all truth is relative. In general, that's what they teach and that's what they believe. And there's exceptions, clearly. But the the chief idea of relativism is basically that there's this tolerance and openness and boy, you know, everybody's right. And so here comes Christ, here comes the gospel, here comes Paul saying, uh, 
I hate to break this to you, but um, there is only one way. <laughs> and there is a truth. And not all truth is true that people claim to be true. And so this worldly relativism that it, it, it has a tendency to minimize or really even if in our culture today we look around in our society and it really just does away with sin. And it's not just out in the world, beloved. It's, it's in, within the church. I mean, I've, I've had pastors tell me personally that, you know what, we want our church to be a safe place for everybody. We want everybody to feel loved. We don't want anybody to feel judged. We don't want anybody to feel out of place. So we're okay with the homosexual couple that comes in, and we want to accept them. We want to love them into the kingdom. We don't want to tell them that they're living in sin. And the heterosexual couples that, that's living together, you know, well, eventually they'll get married and we just want to be patient with the process. And, you know, they're hearing the message every week and, and we don't want to, you know, make a big thing out of this and, and just kind of, you know, relax and, and just love up on these people. And eventually they'll get it. God forbid we should call them aside and say, wait a minute, do you know that your lifestyle is an affront to a holy God? So the gospel of Christ somehow gets retooled. They take the glorious gospel of Christ and they retool it in a way that makes it seem like Jesus Christ is there to help you succeed in your family life, in your marriage, in your business. Jesus Christ is there to help you meet your personal goals. Uh, he's there to meet your felt needs. So when people come to the church, it's like, okay, well, I'll commit myself to Christ, but you know, what's it going to do for me? That's the attitude. And I've had pastors tell me personally, you know what, you're never going to grow a church if you talk about sin, if you talk about the blood of Christ, if you talk about this, if you talk about that, people don't relate to that. That's offensive to people. You can't do that and expect people to embrace those kind of teachings. You need to tell people how much they're loved, how lovable they are, and build up their self-esteem. And you know, you know, you don't suggest that they're sinners. I mean, that doesn't help people. They don't walk away feeling good about themselves if you're going to do that. You know, I have this to say, if we're not sinners, then what are we doing looking for a savior? Right? We don't need a savior if we're not sinners. We don't need a savior who died to bear the penalty of our sin if sin's not a big issue. Charles Spurgeon said this, too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the savior. And that's very true. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, The biblical doctrine of sin is absolutely crucial to an understanding of the biblical doctrine of salvation. Whatever we may ask, we cannot be right and clear about the way of salvation unless we are right and clear about sin. And so, since Romans 7 is pretty much one of the most penetrating analysis of sin in all of Scripture... We need to understand what Paul is saying here. And so he starts off there in verse 7 and he says, May it never be. What shall we say then? The law is sin? By no means. Absolutely not, he exclaims. Because he, he knows the word of God. God's law is holy. It's righteous. It's good. He knows it's not sin. That's what he says down in verse 12. That it's holy. It's righteous. It's good. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. 
and we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. And while you're at our website, don't forget to download our mobile app, new and improved and ready to use, whether you're securely donating online or taking advantage of the podcasts on your mobile phone, simply go to iTunes or Google Play and look for Grace Bible Church Redwood City CA. Or stop by our website, gracefultruth.org, and follow the prompts. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.